Welcome to episode 3 of Save Our Soul Library, aka SOS Library. A podcast where three girls from New York with absolutely no expertise give their honest opinion on the good, the bad, the overhyped, and the underrated. As always, we have Stan. Hi. Shan. Hello. And me, Lynn. Alright, ladies. This episode, we will be talking about Pachinko Episode 2. Our book club book that we read, Trust by Hernan Diaz, finally, and any notable books that we've read this month. So, spoiler alert, I've only read three books this month, so I will have very little to say. That's but fine. moving on to Pachinko, Stan, do you want to give like a brief summary of what happened? So, the two main things, because it's been a hot minute since we've watched it was Sunja, who's the main character in the past, befriends Hansu, the the managing, the, the like civilized man who comes into their fish town. They become friends after she gets assaulted. And then some more assaulting happens. <laughs> well, not, not <laughs> positive assaulting, a.k.a. Consent. (laughs) (laughs) Consensual sex. (laughs) And then in the present day, uh, Solomon, her descendant, still can't sell the property or still can't buy the property and is sad about his very dramatic girlfriend who has problems. I would also just like to say that, like, yes, dramatic ex-girlfriend, but also kind of stepsister except not legally it's weird weird. (laughs) yeah it's very weird because in the book he lost his virginity to her at a very very young age and then it seemed like a very were they the same age or was she older i think she was i think she's older yeah Yeah. it was like a babysitter taken too far type of situation it was very toxic i feel like yeah in the book and i think in the show from what we've seen so far, it is a really toxic relationship. I think the only thing that stood out to me for this episode was the weird ending scene, the weird sex scene with uh, Sunja and Hansu. Honestly, like when that scene started, the all three of us were like making visible cringe noises. I were and... like actively horrified. Yeah. The the reason I think that we were was because the way that it was shot was in the POV of Hansu, the man. Like, the camera was straight looking down on her face, cutting off at, you know, her shoulders. So we only see her facial expression as if we were the ones doing the work. There was also weird, like, side shots, too. Okay, yeah. Let me just... just her face. On that note, Lee Min-ho is a very attractive man. He is... Yes, like, I've It's never very hard to make him look ugly. Yes. And they've managed to do that. And yep. I think that is a crime against humanity, honestly. I agree. Maybe that's the point, though. Maybe it's supposed to feel a little ugly. I guess. I will also say, just as an aside to this, I did Google, like, what was up with those sex scenes because I was just curious. And remarkably like the criticism coming out of korea is that they thought that she was too expressive like the actress herself yeah the actress was actively criticized by american so i I guess we're just too radicalized 
like people were like, she moaned too much. She was too expressive. It was too obscene. And I'm just like, okay, th- that is not what I was expecting. What I about Lee Min Ho's part in this? He, he was got more some like, flack, but it was more mostly for the actress. Uh, always, always on course. the women. Mm. Uh, a shame. I, I think what was also weird about that ending scene was the weird cuts between the present and the future like the weird parallel that they are trying to weave with uh, Sunja and Hansu and then Solomon and Hana. right yeah I I can't uh... say I'm a fan of the present day storyline just because it just seems so sad like this guy just seems like in a place where he can't get any wins and nothing good's really happening I mean nothing good really happens in the actual book (laughs) I know but at least with the past we're given you know sort of like a look into her life like she seems to really love her town you know we get some scenes with the other people who work at the the inn you know like her co-workers her mom so there's like some sort of like day-to-day life thing happening whereas with Solomon's it just seems like he's he goes to work, he gets kind of shit on because he's Asian and not the good Asian, he's Korean. And then he, in the evenings, he gets bothered, you know, with this Hana stuff. And it's really sad. <laughs> to that point, there was this scene in this episode that really bothered me where he's at work and he gets a call from Hana and mm. she's literally like creeping on him from like some building in the vicinity. Yep. Like saying she can see him in the office. And it like for me as someone who really likes to keep my personal and professional life very separate, it made me look very viscerally uncomfortable. <laughs> but also we know Hana has no boundaries. That's true. Very bad. But I guess we have to see. Maybe it's one of those episodes where you need to watch the next episode to kind of see what happens. Like it's not, it doesn't seem like in the first episode, sort of like standalone. It seems more of like a, ooh, continuation, what's going to happen next kind of episode. It just feels very different from the book in this sense now, because I feel like they're focusing more on like certain plot points within the book that they didn't really, I don't know. I feel like they're the focus is on different things in the in the series than in the book Hmm. not in a good way or you think it's just a different choice i think it's a different choice i think maybe for the series like they can't hit on all the important plot points so they have to pick and choose what they want to focus on like like we know about solomon and hannah we kind of the romantic parts yeah we kind of know about like his dad and his stepmom kind of but then you know there's like a whole nother family or like a whole nother side that they haven't touched upon yet that kind of played a, a role a bigger role i guess in the book i'm not sure we'll see i guess we'll yeah, see i guess no spoilers three. but i am very curious about the other people who are kind of key to the story who haven't been introduced yet at all yep i agree so we'll give you our thoughts when we watch it then yeah and maybe we won't wait so long between uh watching it and recording so we can I'll, take notes. Okay. I'll take notes <laughs> this time <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was Pachinko episode two. Next on our list is Trust by Hernan Diaz, which we finally got to after like, what, a month, two months of waiting for this book. Yeah, I think I picked it back in January, actually. Yeah, you did. And then we had to read two other books in the meantime. And if you want to know what we thought about those two other books, check out the last two two episodes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Summary of this book. 
it's a it's hard it is a hard book to describe i feel like but i would say it's a historical fiction book uh that takes place during the gilded age into the great depression uh and is split into four separate perspectives i guess is a word which will have you kind of questioning what is the truth what you should trust and what is fiction i think going into it anymore would really spoil the fun of the ride so if you haven't read it already i would say go read it i think it's it's been in the lists on websites and end of the year tiers and top books because of how unique i guess the format is yeah i would agree there i think one thing that we can probably say about the book is that it kind of uh, explores the idea of what an unreliable narrator is in a way that's not like your usual unreliable narrator which is you know murder <laughs> i like that your first thought for an unreliable narrator was murder <laughs> like you know those thriller mystery kind of like horror like those types of books those have a lot of common like unreliable narrator themes i'm just thinking about the silent patient i guess Oh, yeah, that was a good book. It was um, definitely had that unreliable narrator theme. I was going to say that I think the other thing this book experiments with a lot is also the concept of like multiple narrators. So while unreliable is also a good term, I think this is one of the very few books I've read where you feel you actively feel as though each part is a different person. Yeah. And they're all telling the same story, kind of. Yeah. So I would say we all gave it fours, right? Fours across the board. I will say when I first read like chapter one or like the first book, I was like, oh, I don't think I will like this book. And I I, even, I said it in our Discord, right? Like, I don't think this is a book for me. I think mainly because a lot of the words that they were using were very, were like words I didn't know. And they were talking a lot about finance. And I don't really give a shit about finance. <laughs> But like the more when I was like, all right, I this is I need to like Google all these meanings. Once that I did that, it kind of got easier to read. And then I started enjoying it more. But definitely like the finance part kind of just went over my head. I don't know if understanding the finance part will make it better, but it was still an overall enjoyable book. And I would say like my favorite one of my favorite chapter is the last chapter because like I feel like that chapter kind of ties everything together really well, but mm. also leaves like a lot of questions, leaves you wondering how like the first book is kind of, or how the first book fits into the last chapter story, if that makes sense. I think that after reading all four, all of them have some kernel of truth. Uh, but I personally really enjoyed the first book the best because it followed all the arcs and all the points that a story should have. You know, there's like a rising beginning, there's a climax, and there's a conclusion. And it was really strong in what it was trying to say because of the structure. I mean, Whereas that makes I feel sense like because the others the, didn't like, novel, necessarily right? like, like the second. The second one is like a manifesto, pretty much, which was very cringe. Yeah. did not did not like um and in a memoir which was what the third format was it's more like kind of broken up stories starting straight in the middle there's really no beginning to it it just kind of jumps right in because we know the context of the story and 
similarly ends abruptly, which isn't really like the narrative novel format. And the fourth format, which is a journal, again, it's sort of like day to day and very sporadic in its thoughts. So me being a traditionalist, I really love a good novel. So I thought the first book was by far the best in executing and synthesizing all the points that the author was trying to make. I think if I had to rank them, book one would be my favorite, and then book four, and then book three, and then book two. And I also definitely like interpreted them the same way that you did, Stan, where like book one is obviously a novel, book two is like this autobiography manifesto, book three is a memoir, and then book four is a diary slash like first. What is it? What is it that they call these in um like research papers? It's like not a secondary, a primary source, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like book four was kind of like the primary source for all of the other books. And it was really smart to put it at the end because it really does bring a lot of things together. I think with book one, I really enjoyed it because I really enjoy Edith Wharton. And I think if anybody is a, like that kind of fan, then book one is definitely the book for you and the language is beautiful and I also so beautiful similarly yeah like similarly (laughs) to Lynn there were so many words I did not know and as but we look them up that's what learning is like (laughs) as an English major and someone who reads a lot honestly I'm like pretty stunned when I read a book where I don't understand a lot of the language And it was just, it was beautiful. There were so many like gorgeous lines in that first book. And I think going from book one to book two is such an adjustment. Like for what it's worth, I do think it's worth the commitment to follow through. But wow, I can see this book losing a lot of readers in book two. (laughs) Can we, can I read a quote that I really liked? Yeah. Um, So there is this one quote that I read that I was like, oh, it's just so well written. Okay. So it goes, Mrs. Brevort, I think it's pronounced Brevort, was sick and tired of her husband's self-absorbed gibberish, his dubious science, and all the celestial nonsense that kept him from addressing his family's very terrestrial needs. What a great, what a great line. What a great line. That was a beautiful line. I also just really felt for Helen in those moments. There Um, were, um, so I don't really like write down quotes or whatever from books, but there was like one or two that stood out to me and one of them was like there was no reward reward in being reliable or obedient the reader's expectations and demands were there to be intentionally confounded and subverted and that felt like what was happening throughout the whole book with all the different stories and that just kind of like resonated with me was that in book one no it was like later on i think it was like the memoir yeah Mm. Yeah. yeah, I I really felt like the weakest point was the second book. I get what um, Diaz was trying to do, but it just felt so obvious. I felt like I was like, okay, we're just going to pretend to be this very wealthy guy excusing himself for all his choices, essentially. But it was really, it made me, yeah, it made me not want to finish the book in, almost because it made me doubt the integrity of the story, but in a bad way. I will say, I don't think I took it as like pretending to be this guy and trying to absolve himself so much as, again, massive spoiler. If you do not want to know, stop listening right now. Um, <laughs> for the last book, I think it was really just um, his way of trying to make Mildred small, you know, yeah. like by writing this whole thing and 
building himself up to be more than what he was and better than what he was, he minimizes her contribution, which is why it's so dry and so boring and so annoying. Like, I do think the intent is for you to walk away kind of feeling disgusted by that mm-hmm. chapter and to feel as though like, oh God, like who is this guy? Like, I don't want to read about him. I don't care. And then you realize kind of by book four, right? Like, oh, he did that intentionally because he doesn't want anyone to give a shit about his wife. Right. Because I don't know more yeah. about, I don't know if it's like giving a shit about his wife, but more about maybe f- afraid of finding out uh, the world, finding out that he is a fraud basically. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So I do also think that one of the things that it's trying to talk about in relation to like themes of the story is, you know, kind of capitalism and the effect of being very, very wealthy. And I think he did some really good research because I just so happened to have read two books that were set around the same era and he really got it spot on. Um, So I read Grant by Ron Chernow and he talked about during the Gilded Age and the era after Reconstruction, there was a lot of, you know, nepotism and favoritism propelling these, you know, railroad oil barons to their millionaire status. And the financial sector was really the Wild West. So you really could do everything and anything to make money. And that was how in trust, he got so rich, he kind of played the market when there was no regulation. And There was this belief then that those with money were kind of fit to run the country and that that was equating someone as being a good or virtuous man. That was basically what the author was touting was that I'm, I'm so rich, but it's, it's for the good of society, you know, absolute wild thought, just so wild, (laughs) big red flag now. But back then they were just like, Oh, he must be a good person because he knows how to make money and he's so good with business craziness and then similarly i read empty mansion uh by bill deadman and paul clark newell jr which, which i was... recommended and i'm sorry <laughs> yes. to hear your thoughts on, on. <laughs> but it's about w.a clark who is a real life person who was one of these barons in copper during this exact period and he had a young daughter named you get who was pretty much a recluse, like the Mildred Helen character in the book, which is crazy. She was similarly an artist in that, you know, she kind of wrote, it was, you know, interested in literature, painting, and she was also a philanthropist, uh, giving to the arts and artists and, you know, other nonprofits and musicians and things like that, as well as surrounding herself by only those who are paid to be in her company. So I just thought that, I don't know if he read the book, but I was just like, is he talking about like this, this woman, (laughs) this real life woman? It felt very real in that sense. It did feel very inspired. I agree. Any other final thoughts, I guess, before we move on? I I feel like this was a good book. Like I started chapter one and I didn't expect to like it, but by the end of it, I, I did enjoy it. We're always glad to be pleasantly surprised because I went in really knowing nothing about it same i've owned this book for like almost a year ish (laughs) like i bought it when it came out and i just never picked it up and then it got on all the lists and i was like well i guess it's good we better read it you're so lucky (laughs) i know i I, for once (laughs) kind of have a history of picking not great books i'm looking at you midnight library (laughs) 
It's okay. We all have a record of not great books. Just look at the last two that we read. But they were funny. Because <laughs> we were reading you know what it I mean? together. Like, there was like a redeeming quality there. I really don't think there was a single redeeming quality to the Midnight Library. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the concept was good. Or like the idea of it was good. Just poorly executed. Yes. Okay. So that was our book club book, Trust by Hernan Diaz. We highly recommend it. And the next book that we are going to read is The Unfortunate by J.K. Chukwu. It's a new novel. It came out this year. And I don't know I much about know, it. I also know nothing about it. So we'll see. We'll see when we read it, I guess. Do you want to continue on to like your hits and miss for this month? Uh, yeah, I read a lot more than I thought I would because there were some big books in January that I didn't finish, so I kind of finished them all in February. Uh, but a good book that I read was uh, Portrait of a Scotsman by Evie Dunmore. This is a th- the third in the series of the Suffragettes series, um, which takes place in the Victorian era, where it follows like a group of women trying to get the right to vote in the UK in the late 1880s. And we're following Hattie, the daughter of a wealthy merchant family, she gets thrown into an arranged manage, uh, marriage after a minor slip-up with a Scotsman who has a bad reputation. And I really enjoyed it. I love the series. I think it's a very strong like rom- historical romance series. So if you're looking for that right now, something light, something historical, something with a little bit of spice, <laughs> uh, I would recommend it. Am I supposed to continue? No, I can go next. I yeah, barely read book. this month. So I can just quickly go through like a good book that I read and then just quickly talk about the one bad book that we both read, Stan. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then Shan can give us her five great books of this month. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to everyone who listened to the last one. <laughs> Which um, is fine. Yeah, it's fine. I have no problem with it. The good book that I read or that I enjoyed was A Man Called Ove by Frederick Bachman. Bachman. And basically, I need to find a summary of this because I am bad at summarizing books. You read it for the book that's going to be adapted, right? Yeah, it's a book. I mean, it's a movie that came out this year starring Tom Hanks. But also, Wait, it came out already? Yeah, it came out in January. Oh, but there's also like a Swedish version of this that came out back in like 2016 or 2017 as well. Oh, I didn't know that. So this book is about a grumpy yet lovable man who finds his solitary world turned on its head when a boisterous young family moves in next door. He's a curmudgeon, the kind of man who points at people he dislikes as if they were burglars caught outside his bedroom window- windows. He has staunch principles, strict routine, and a short fuse. And people call him the bitter neighbor neighbor from hell. But is he just bitter because he doesn't walk around with a smile plastered to his face all the time? But basically, like, there's more to his cranky exterior than being mean and a curmudgeon. He has such a sad story, but he's also, like, such a great person. Will it validate all the people who just want to be a grumpy curmudgeon? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say yes. Because there are some people who just want to be a grumpy curmudgeon because they are horrible people. I think it will validate people who are perceived as curmudgeons but actually have a lot going on under the surface. Yeah, I agree. I well, after I read the book, 
I was like, I would buy this book and like have a copy of it if I could or if I wanted to. Yeah, I think um, I would put it up there in the like Tuesdays with Maury category of it's like a very touching book. It is. Um, and I don't know if, it, if I like this book because of the mindset I was in at the time um, or if it was just because it's a great book or both. But like it, it tugged on my heartstrings at random times, even on my commute to work on the subway. And I had like a really rough February in terms of work. So I just felt like I really related to him. Because I just wanted to put my head down and work hard. And I don't want to deal with like office politics or like client politics or any of that. Um, That's really important. Sometimes a book, you know, coming at the right time, you know, makes it a more meaningful book. Yeah. So I think that's why it affected me the way it did. But I also think he's such a great main character. Like, because we know he's not meant to be liked or friendly, but like you can't help but like him and like the more you learn about who he is and why he is the way he is he you know he grows on you a lot to the point where I'm like damn like his wife was a lucky woman and like despite being like super stubborn like he builds such great relationships with everybody around him even though he doesn't unintentionally yeah he doesn't (laughs) seem to know that he's doing it I'm gonna I'm gonna eventually read it probably it's a great book maybe yeah like I read it at the beginning of the year and honestly I really loved it it's great but if that was a book that had a really good main character then Uh, yeah then then the other book that you read that we both read didn't have that great segue thank you the name of the wind by Patrick Rothfuss I am so glad to be done with this book for now I, I feel like even, I should clap for both of you, honestly. <laughs> I didn't even put like a little blurb for the, I, I like forgot, I guess, because I didn't care enough to, to write one. Let me, let me tell a, you the blurb. It's just a nothing story. The blurb, it's basically a sad, depressed man who is no longer the great youth that he was, tells a story about himself as a great youth and his great accomplishments in the past. Mm. Yeah, it's just a tavern story gone too long in a fantastical world where where this main character is is perfect. perfect. He's he's a he's a gifted musician. He's he's traumatized but but still scrappy and and smart enough to survive. He's got He's got book smarts and street smarts. He's well-traveled and knows the culture and customs of vastly different people. He never offends anyone. He's always charming. Unless you're a bad person, then you deserve to die. He's constantly abandoning his friends and love interests, but they love him anyway. He faces no consequences for anything that he does. And he always gets what he wants, pretty much. He feels kind of entitled. Yeah, it's just, it was eight, it was what, seven, eight hundred Seven hundred plus pages. Yeah, it was. Well, for seven hundred plus pages, nothing extraordinary happens. Except for like, when tragedy hit. But that's it. But then it, but then it just gets glossed over. Because it's about him growing up and learning before the. I I told you. I like yeah. the structure. I like the novel structure of a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know? And I was telling Lynn, I was text, I was messaging her. I was just like, I'm reading and reading. And I'm like, where's the climax, Lynn? 
Because I just this is still the beginning. I just He's got climax. two other books. He's got the two other books that he wants us to read because that's the mid, that's the climax and the ending right there. But you're not going to read it. The other guy we read this book with is not going to read it. I have to read it because it's part of this top sugar challenge. Yeah, I guess you can, you'll let us Wait, know. Wait, what but, is yeah. the prompt that the next one fulfills the for longest, you? The longest book in my to-be-read list. <laughs> oh, Lynn. Yeah, I I don't think that a book should ever have to need another book to complete it. Like a book should be standalone by itself, able to be read, even if it's part of a series. It should have its I agree. own Like if anything, story. it should make you want to read the next one, right? Yeah, like not right. necessarily feel incomplete, but just make you excited for the next one. Which yeah. is funny because... There's supposed to be a third book, and it hasn't even been published yet, and we don't know if it's going to be published. So even if we do get a climax, it's not going to be a resolution. So if the author can't be bothered, why should I bother? This is my second time reading this book. I don't know what what happened the first time. I must not have paid a lot of attention to it, because somehow I gave it a higher score than I did this time. I gave it a two this time. I gave it like a three or a four last time. Wow, that's very generous. I almost gave it a one. I almost gave it a one. Because I would be reading it at the end of the evening, um, like before I went to sleep, and my partner would come in and he would just be like, oh my god, you have a scowl on your face. <laughs> and I would say, I'm in a bad mood because of this book. <laughs> it was a struggle to get through. The struggle. We were on the struggle bus for it, for sure. Yeah. And now I'll be Wait, on the I'm so bus curious alone. about what the other person who is reading this book with you two thought of it. Did they have you different like opinions? It. No, really? He had the same opinion. He read it he, much faster than both of you, too. It, he read it via audiobook, so that's why it went faster. Um, yeah. But he, he basically... He's not reading he, the second. Yeah. He was like, it's not good enough to read the second one. Yeah. So, so Shan, How I disappointing. Know, I know you have some... I mean, like, you probably feel just as strongly about your bad book of the month. <laughs> Okay, um, so I guess I'll preface with I read 13 books this month. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> Applause. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the ratings are all over the place, but there was one one-star book and one five-star book. <laughs> oh, wow. Perfect. Yeah, so this works out really well. Um, I'll talk about the five-star book first because that makes me happy. Um, <laughs> so it was actually, uh, hilariously enough, actually my book of the month from the subscription service. The book it's of the called... month book, book of the month? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so not it's called a sponsor. Rip... This is not sponsored, but like, hey, if you want to, we'd be really down. I already purchased your product. Please give me a free subscription. Um, so it's called River <laughs> Sing Me Home by Eleanor Shearer. And the premise of it really intrigued me. And when I started reading it, like, wow, what a roller coaster I was on. I was in my feelings. I was crying. I was laughing. I was learning. The story follows a woman named Rachel as she has just been like, quote unquote, freed in Barbados. Um, So this is right after Europe and all of the colonizers passed legislation like saying slavery was illegal in like the Caribbean, the West Indian, that general area. And it goes into how after this went into effect, all of the slaves thought like, yeah, I'm really going to be free. And then all of the plantation overseers were like, JK, you're now indentured servants and you have to buy your freedom from me. And Rachel has this moment like right after this happens where she's like, I will never be free unless I take my 
my destiny into my own hands and like fully just books it from the plantation in the middle of the night um, and finds like a community of free slaves who are all searching for different things. And what Rachel is searching for is her children because she gave birth to multiple children while on the plantation and she, they were all taken away from her um, at different ages. And the story follows her journey from Barbados um, to a couple other Caribbean islands uh, to rescue her children or at least find out what happens to them. And it's this like beautiful story that crosses through so many of these islands uh, at, right after um, the decree to end slavery as a runaway slave. And I'm not going to lie, I choked up a lot because my great-grandmother was an indentured uh, servant in Guyana. And the story does go into Guyana at some point. And it oh was just gosh. really... It was really hard, honestly, to read and to realize like this is really not that far removed uh, from my personal history. And I'm not going to, I was also kind of embarrassed, you know, at how much I, I didn't know. Um, like I know a lot about my, my parents' immigration stories, but I don't know a lot about, about that part um, of the, the enslavements of my ancestors. Um, and you become very attached to Rachel as a character because it's really what, what is driving her is love, you know, wanting to know what happened to her children and no spoilers, but like some of them are alive and some of them aren't. <laughs> and, and finding out when she finds out is you're, you're there for all of her joys and all of her sorrows. And it was truly beautiful. Like I was not expecting to be as moved as I was, but like the prose was amazing. The The historical accuracy was also very, very well done. Like it was very clear that the author had gone and done research, like actively done research to write this book. And when I got to the end of it and was reading about the author, it turns out she is very similarly to me, <laughs> a mixed Caribbean, like, uh, I can't remember if she's a U.S. writer or a British writer, but, you know, Western world kind of raised person who has only heard stories about her own ancestors, you know, in between the, the facets of her life, and that she actually did travel back to the islands that her ancestors are from and did research at, like, the museums and little historical places of record. And literally one of the guards at one of these places was like is your last name, like your family last name, this? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, hold on. And like went to the back and found someone she was distantly related to. Oh my God. <laughs> what? And he was like, honestly, you guys have a very similar face. And that's why I asked. <gasps> that's crazy. And, and the thing is like, this happens to me all the time. <laughs> Wait, what? You just find relatives randomly? Yeah, because my my dad's face is very distinct and we have a very distinct um, – my, my old name, my maiden name was my dad's last name and it's a very distinct name for Guyana because a lot of people from Guyana tend to have names like Singh, Ramchet Singh, Ahmad, Ramswami, like mm. kind of very ethnic and my dad's is not. And mm. I guess we just have a very strong face. <laughs> Actually, I think Lynn's partner said this because he's worked with my father and some of my father's siblings where he was like, they really all look the same. <laughs> That's so like, funny. It's hard to tell them apart. And so I feel like from- I, I feel like I read something similar in the Underground Railroad by Colton Whitehead, which is also about someone who kind of escapes slavery mm-hmm. and that journey 
and it wasn't and historically just, accurate, but you know, the beats are there, you know? Yeah. And it was just this gorgeous, gorgeous story. And here, and like reading the author's note, it was also just so heartwarming. I really loved this book. <laughs> Yay. Um, but genuinely, I will also say like a very hard read sometimes. Like there were moments where I was like, oh, my heart is shattering. <laughs> I can't do this right now. Yeah, but sometimes um, we we want to cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually very similarly to what Lynn was talking about where it's like I was reading this on my commute. I like actively had to put it down because I was like I don't want to show it to the office. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, amazing book. And now for a complete about face. <laughs> I read one know. of the worst oh. books of my life. <laughs> oh no, of your life. Of my Wait. life. I would never no. recommend this book to anybody. <laughs> <sighs> like we we um, we we heard you like complain about this book while you were reading this. Mm-hmm. Just for a moment, um, just for a hot moment before you finished, right? Yes, this is before I finished. <laughs> right. So let's <sighs> let's hear the full story. You know. <laughs> okay. So this book is called Ramon and Julieta. It is Love and Tacos number one because somehow there are sequels. This <laughs> is like stunning. By Alana Quintana Albertson. It was a recent publish. It was published last year. And I I want to root for this book so bad. I really do. Like the premise makes it sound as though it's right up my alley. It is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. I love Shakespeare. I'm a Shakespeare gal. It's got uh, Mexican leads. It's about tacos. I love tacos. <laughs> Like, honestly, my it is so hard to make me hate anything about tacos, and this book made me hate tacos. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so funny Not- because I was looking at the book, and one of the people that I follow on Goodreads said, this book has tacos in it. Tacos are good. Yum. This concludes the nice section of this review. <laughs> I agree. Oh, I just saw that. I'm, I'm on the Goodreads page for this book. And I see this. If you want to laugh, read the Goodreads reviews because, honestly, I've never felt so seen in my life. I am not the kind of person who leaves Goodreads reviews, but if I did leave a Goodreads review for this book, it would read, and abandon all hope, ye who enter this book. Because there were so many moments where I thought it was at least kind of going to turn it around, and then it just didn't. It just got worse. Like, the villain in this story is capitalism, which is, like, fair. Mm, but The theme of ha- this episode is <laughs> capitalism is the villain <laughs> really truly so for those of you who don't know anything about romeo and juliet uh the, oh i the thought quicken... you were gonna say for those of you who don't know anything about capitalism it is i mean root of all evil. In society. <laughs> um the whole premise is that these two characters fall in love when they're not supposed to it's a forbidden love because their families are at war and spoiler alert uh one of them both of them die at the end yeah um oh, do they yeah oh, i'm pretty oh, sure both you, of you, them die you meant Romeo and juliet i thought you meant this book Oh, no, no, no. Okay, this is going to lead into my criticism of this book. Um, Because, again, Romeo and Juliet is a very classic story. Like, the plot points are there to be hit. They work. The Romeo and Juliet has been redone so many times. Romeo and Juliet was way better than this. And I wasn't yes, even expecting to like Romeo and Juliet. It was a cute movie. I really like that. It was. The movie? The children's yes. movie? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. You should know this by now. We love children's movies. We really do. <laughs> just just so you know, everyone in this podcast is of age. 
uh, over 18, well over 18. <laughs> Don't judge. Um, Lynn and I are entering our 30s this year. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but children's movies still slap. Anyway, back to the book. Um, so it was just, it was so bad. Like the characters were very poorly written. The prose was really, really bad. Um, the main character, Ramon, is basically the inheritor of a Taco Bell-esque chain um it's called taco king and the whole plot revolves around him buying the block that julietta's um taqueria is on and he his gentrification of the block including her store um first of all there would have been so many sexual harassment complaints filed if this was real (laughs) um the amount of times i had to read about ramon like dreaming about receiving a blowjob from julietta was disturbing um especially in professional (laughs) settings where they were supposed to be professional and here is the honest to god worst part about this book they spend so much time building up like the sexual tension between the two main characters that you would think at the very least like okay the plot is trash the characters are very mid uh the writing is mediocre at maybe the sex will be fine it was literally the worst sex scene i've ever read in my life I, for context, just to feel validated or like, you know, because I was curious, I sent it to Stan and Lynn and they both hated it too. <laughs> I was reading a good romance book while <laughs> you were reading a bad romance book. So I was like, like oof, big oof. I complained about this so much, like this specific part that the sex was terrible that my partner, my husband, who never reads the books that I read. Um, and who has no interest in actually looking at any of the books I ever read. Even the great ones was like, can I can I read it? <laughs> <laughs> and I got to watch him just cringe the entire time. And he looked you at me and was like... wanted to read a bad book? Come on. <laughs> I think it's just because I talked about how bad it was for so long. He was intrigued. <laughs> anyway, he hated it. <laughs> yeah, it's not... It hasn't been uh, favorably reviewed, to say the least. I'm wishing for the best, uh, like, for this author, like, genuinely. I I did not enjoy this book. It seems like most people did not enjoy it either. And I'm really hoping that, like, she does hit her stride. Um, Because, again, the concept was lovely. And I think there's a lot of promise there. It just, this was not it. I could not not recommend it anymore. (laughs) I I, got to say, based on this batting record romance contemporary romance is just a hard sell to, to it really us. is like it must be the genre or maybe it's because we're in our 30s and we're kind of in that contemporary like age where we're more critical I guess or have a more critical eye or our standards are higher maybe for what we think you know passes the bar for good contemporary romance but mm-hmm. maybe just no more pun related <laughs> titles no like 100 percent. we'll just read romance contemporary book number 52 and hope for the best and (laughs) i will also just say this again romeo and juliet plot points are right there they're not hard to hit no one died not even a single idea of murder or a knife or poison nothing they murdered your soul yes a lot of the retellings of romeo and juliet doesn't have the death portion 
It doesn't have the death portion, but there is usually a moment where it's like, oh, someone could die or someone's life is in danger. Like most of the ones that I've read, like do a very good job of putting someone in mortal, like, like on a mortal precipice. You I know? can see like uh, a contemporary spin could be like, oh, they got injured and then like the other person wanting to save them also gets injured in some way and then they end up in the same like hospital room or something. And yeah, then, like I'm not saying you know. I need every retelling to be exactly the same, but like there was no moment where everything – I mean I know what she thought the moment was. She she thought she wrote it. It wasn't. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember what that moment is in Nomeo and Juliet now. I think one of them breaks. <laughs> Do they? Oh my god! Yeah, like, like... <laughs> it was so dark. <laughs> or like something like snaps, like maybe a nose or a hat or something. There, there was a moment I do remember because I was like. <laughs> you may make fun of this now, but it was a great show. A it great really movie. was. Okay. I'm all for it. Listen, I will say we're gonna have kids at some point, right? I mean, no, me and Julia, the banger. Yeah, if I'm gonna choose any children's movie, I might as well choose a good one, right? Agreed. Uh, well, such a shame. I removed this book from my to read list. (laughs) I'm doing you such a favor. I promise. Just read Romeo and Juliet, guys. Just if you want to read it, read it. Yeah, not that hard. Original. It's better. Or watch the Leonardo DiCaprio version. Oh, I thought you were going to say, or watch Nomeo. And that is or also where I thought too. we were going. <laughs> we could also watch Nomeo and Juliet. That's great, too. <laughs> Make Stan sit through it with us. <laughs> yes. That, you can't that's see Pachinko. my expression, but it's not one of amusement. It's okay. Shannon and I are amused. I feel like if there's any adaptation that I would want to watch, it would actually be the new adaptation that came out with uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. I still I have read mixed that. reviews. Really? See, yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, my sister-in-law actually started watching it yesterday and was texting me and was very upset about it because <laughs> I was the one who lent her the copy of Daisy Jones and the Six and she loved it. She's not a reader, but it's one of her favorite books and she was just texting me angrily all morning yesterday oh, no. <laughs> about her um you know her, the things she found unpleasant about the adaptation well we can watch it after uh, pachinko uh and then that'll give me some time to read it before we start watching ladies what are you guys reading now i am and- currently reading three books uh, I'm reading Notes on an Execution by Danya Kukafka, which is like a murder thriller, unreliable narrator, <laughs> mayhaps, book. It's pretty dark. It's hard to get through. So I'm going through it slowly. Uh, I'm also reading Mika in Real Life by Emiko Jean, which is a contemporary fiction book about a messy, messy, messy girl in a messy, messy, messy life. <laughs> Finally, I'm reading When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanthi. I love uh, that book. And that book breaks my heart so many times. It's a book that uh, I can't read at home because my partner does not want to hear it. So I only read it while I'm commuting. But we'll see. I'm just like very briefly 
dipped my toes in it. So we'll see how it goes with all it's of It's really them. heartbreaking. I know. It's I'm about, excited for you. It's about death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and death is just always sad. But especially this one, since he was so young. But spoiler alert, he he's he's passed. But yeah, that that's the those are the books that I'm currently reading. So I am currently reading a book called Under the Lights and in the Dark: Untold Stories of Women's Soccer by Gwendolyn Oxenham. I'm honestly a lot more into it than I thought I was going to be, and it's about it's like a bunch of mini essays from a, a lot of women who have tried and or been in the women's soccer league in the u.s i am planning to read a cook's tour by anthony Bourdain for my book club on wednesday so wish me luck as i binge that over the next couple of days oh my god you have (laughs) to read it by wednesday yep wow god i'm not surprised you can do it thank you (laughs) i mean we all read trust very quickly we did we really did so um, it and can then be I'm done. Also, I'm, I'm planning on reading Babel by R.F. Huang this month. Ooh, let and... me know how that goes. Oh my gosh, what is this other book? Oh, my book of the month for this month, which I'm very excited about, is... Dun, 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 I have to find it. Okay, it's called The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakraborty. So without realizing it, this actually fulfills my pop sugar challenge of reading something with an author who has the same initials as you. Oh, very good. Doesn't it, wouldn't it also fit for a book where the main character's name is in the title? Unless that's not the main character. Oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I realized my Mika in real life book also fulfills that challenge, which I'm so glad about because I did not want to read Anna and the French Kiss. (laughs) (laughs) i am currently reading the christie affair by nina de gramont it is basically about what happened to agatha christie in the third in in the 11 days where she went missing but it's like a is it a fictional yeah it's fictional telling of what might have happened and i didn't even know she went missing yeah, she went missing for like 11 days. She had her own mystery surrounding her life. Nobody knows why still. Yeah. She like Go didn't off, remember. Girl. Yeah. Or she chose not to say anything. Yeah, or that. But basically like I'm reading it and I'm not that excited about it. Like, <laughs> like I don't care. <laughs> Wait, why are you reading it? Because I thought it'd be more interesting. Was it for <laughs> your? Was it was it for your um, book with the with the main character in the title recording? No, it's uh. So it was for um one of the like um a, a book that's on a celebrity book club list. But then I realized it could also be a historical fiction book. I mean, we read tons of like trust could be a trust historical fills that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like like the idea is interesting because there's you know, no like, murder no one dies <laughs> there is the there only is? like books where there people is. die oh because i was I, just saying you like books with a little bit of like oomph to it you know i do but like it's not it feels not it doesn't feel like it's agatha christie's story it feels like it's somebody else's story and agatha christie just happened to be a part of it it's agatha christie fan fiction that was also my takeaway maybe but it's mm. not even that like because then the, the main character or the person who is reading or writing this or the point of view is based off of agatha christie's 
husband's second wife who he cheated on Christy with. Oh my god. Trash. Men are trash. So like <laughs> it's about her story. And Agatha Christie just happened to be a side character in that story. And I don't like that. I want no. her to be the main character. So it's just clickbait. Yeah. Mm. That's a good way to Terrible. say it. Mm. Um, also, sorry to all the men who are listening to this. Uh, not you. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you. Not all men. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also reading The Blue Mage Raised by Dragons by this web author called Verlice, I don't know. It's V I R L Y C. Verlice, Verlice. I don't know how to pronounce Verlice. it, but, but I ha- I don't I I don't have positive thoughts about this. Oh book. no! So we'll see what happens. Okay, maybe we'll don't see. say that. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's finish the books before we make a judgment on them. You know, mm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll give you guys an update on all of these, I guess. When tune in next month, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this week, I am going to pick up the Lost Causes of Bleak Creek by internet celebrities Rhett McLaughlin and Link O'Neill. Oh, they wrote a book. They wrote a book, and it sounds very creepy. Okay, wait, so who I are those people? Good. I don't know them. They They're... are hosts of Good Mythical Morning on YouTube. They're Rhett and Link. Yes, they are like they are from like. One of the Carolinas. Oh. They were friends since they were like in elementary school. And then they started a web channel, like a YouTube channel. And then they grew like really big, moved to California, became even bigger. Um, and then I'm also picking up People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. So hopefully that's a good romance book. I think you're going to have so much fun with that. And I really want that for you. <laughs> yeah, I hope you I, enjoy I it so more too. than I enjoyed it, which was yes. to say it was, it was fine. Like it was... It was fine, but I think for Lynn, especially coming out of like some of what sounds like very mid books, like it could just be a good bump. Yeah, yeah, I hate that sometimes you read a book and because you read just such trash books before, it just seems like a breath of fresh air in comparison. Me and the Shara Wheeler book. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah, we'll see. So, and then we, we both, we all have to, we're all getting the unfortunates, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, by they are JK, all in transit. Yes, by J.K. Chukwu this week. And then, yeah, that's it for this month. Thanks for listening. Thanks for Thank listening. Thank you. Feel free Bye. to Bye. comment. Bye. Yeah. Oh, what did you Spoiler want to say before, alert. Lynn? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Next on our list, I guess... So, Stan, since you've already started talking about...